With thanks to Bailey's, this is the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast. Celebrating women's writing, sharing our creativity, our voices and our perspectives, all while championing the very best fiction written by women around the world. I'm Zing Zing, your host once again for a brand new season of the Women's Prize podcast, coming to you every fortnight throughout 2020. You've joined me for a special bookshelf episode in which we ask an inspiring woman to share the story of her life through five brilliant books by women. Today's guest is radio superstar Gemma Kearney. She is best known for being a DJ on BBC Radio 1 and 6 Music, but she is also a champion of young people, something she demonstrated in her 2017 book, Open, a toolkit for how magic and messed up life can be. Gemma, welcome. Hello. I feel like you've been through every single BBC radio from 1 to 6. I, I've, I've been around, no lies. And sometimes I feel like a, a rush of pride... Uh, and then other times a rush of overwhelm, but mostly pride. I've I've literally been on every BBC radio network in some capacity. Right. And that's probably because I started really young. I started when I was 23 and really didn't know what I was doing and then started to know what I was doing and enjoy it and learn a craft and became a radio geek and my career has followed. Because you started out as a fashion stylist, right? Yeah, who were you styling? Um, well, I was living around the corner from here, just off Brick Lane. I'd been to drama school and I was going to loads of warehouse parties and had loads of mates who were in bands. And it was kind of an amazing time for East London. It doesn't really get talked about very much because it was quite weird and DIY and we didn't document everything. Um, but everybody sort of wanted to work together in a haze of of party and creativity, uh, so you'd be out and someone would be like, "I'm I'm I need a, a a press shoot for my new single, whatever." And then I'd be like, "Well, I'm a stylist. I'll just bring the clothes. <laughs> I'll just buy a ten ten pound bag from Rokit. Basically, I live down the road to Beyond Retro, right. and this does sound like such a cliche for when you think about like the rise of the idea of what a hipster is but we didn't even know what that term was it was just like messing about and having a laugh so I'd go down to Beyond Retro and I would beg to borrow some clothes for a shoot and I would you know sign the docket and then turn up to the shoot and we would have all these fantastical ideas you know in terms of concepts and there was still quite a lot of magazines around that we all aspired to work for and to be completely honest it was just so fun and I'd been to drama school so for me, it was like theatre. We were creating these scenarios and actually a lot of the scene and people <laughs> were quite theatrical. It was like living in another world a little bit, but a real fun one. And yeah, I ended up doing early shoots with Florence Welsh. I did a shoot with Adele, um, which was particularly funny because we were just messing about in her flat that she shared with her mum at the time and she was not like the biggest star on the planet. Um, Kate Nash was one of my mates, so we just used to run around Harrow where she lived with her sisters and mum and my mate who's a photographer called Scott Trindle who's now like the bee's knees in, in fashion photography. But we just we just knew each other, we just hung out together and we all just really wanted to help each other, <laughs> which is really nice. And nothing got documented, which is so sad. I mean, we've got some of these photographs which are all quite weird and very much of their time. But I, I, I mean, I guess really I liked hanging out. I definitely loved clothes and concepts. So I used to try my hardest to bring that to it. But as soon as 
I started to progress in fashion. I kind of started to hate it because suddenly there were quite a lot of rules. There was a hierarchy. It felt pretty fierce. So actual fashion was a bit like, oh man, I'm way too sensitive for this. And like, hey, hold up. Isn't it illegal not to pay me? <laughs> like, what's going on? <laughs> what's up with that? I've been asking that for a long time. <laughs> but then you made the jump from fashion to radio and you've done, you know, Radio one, two, three, four, four extra, one extra, six, you know, <laughs> if they went all the way up to radio, BBC Radio 10, you would have done it, but they haven't yet. I guess I'm insatiable. And also, there is another side to this in the sense that if you are growing within the job, for example, then you do start to develop skill um, and appetite and you want different challenges. But also... I'm quite hard to define. And I think like the the media, particularly within an institution, is still stuck in this idea that a brief is a brief, a person is a person, um, and what do they have to offer and what boxes are they filling? And I have always found that perpetually difficult. Um, so I would love a show that is filled with entertainment and frivolity that brings people together like when I was on Radio 1 weekend breakfast I had the most fun chatting to the whole country which means all sorts of different people but at the same time I get a lot out of the stuff that I've been doing on Radio 4 which is about culture and music and art and people and humanity and it's like it completely takes you down a different route but I feel like people are like that we're all like a mix of stuff and I just say yes too much. <laughs> I mean, looking at everything you've done, it's like TV documentaries. You've done a book as well. You did a book called Open a Toolkit for How Magic and Messed Up Life Can Be for Young Adults. And, you know, you bought, I think I remember reading somewhere, you bought a double-decker bus with yeah. the advance. Do you still have this bus? See, look at everyone's face in the studio now because this is when people actually start to worry about my sanity. <laughs> <laughs> This is why, if I'm on a date, this is where I really test someone. Right. I'm like, I also own a yellow bus and they're like, out. <laughs> when does the bus come in, like 30 minutes into a date? Uh, it depends when we're having a good time or not. Right. Um, uh, yeah, so, like, there's so many chapters in my career, but I got really excited when I was writing my book because I felt like it was something important. And that it's not just an ego thing because it's not just me, that book. It's like I built the book. I wrote it. I curated it. I directed the way that it looked, that it felt. The subject matters were really passionate to me from research. But like, I, I commissioned people to write sections and I got things overseen by different experts, etc. So the idea that this book was going to be effective was really exciting to me. But I wanted it to, make, to be out there. And I realised that you can't just get a book out there by tweeting about it. So I was thinking, oh man, like what is my approach to the marketing? And I was thinking about the Spice Girls movie a lot. Who doesn't? <laughs> um, I mean, I always do. So it's like in my subconscious. And I thought, I want a bus and I want to go on a schools tour. And the publishers were like, yeah, when we had the initial meeting. And then as it was getting closer to this tour, they said, you do realise we can't actually afford a bus. And I said, but we've discussed this. <laughs> they were like, we can give you the budget for a Honda White Civic. Well, it was pretty much, they said that we can wrap a cab. And oh. I was like, 
uh, that's still really cool, but I've really just got this idea of a bus, which sounds so ridiculous. But then I just did a classic me thing and just went on this whole spiral of research, found this depot in Kent um, and just asked around and found a cheap 90s route master, spent pretty much my entire advance. Bearing in mind, I lived in Margate, so my lifestyle was a bit more hippie and punk at that particular point in terms of my outgoings weren't huge and stuff. I just I just felt like I really wanted to get out there and try this. So yeah, I bought a bus and we went around schools around the country and it was the most fun I've ever had. <laughs> it was amazing. Because the book is a practical guide for young adults trying yeah. to cope with, you know, whatever life throws at them, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, that we we market it again as, as young adults and it is the first time that you're dealing with things when you're a teenager and it helps to place that book in a particular part of a bookshop. But we don't stop. Anyone that tells me that they've completely nailed it, I don't quite believe. Um, and it it's more of a sentiment, that book. You're meant to dip in and dip out and feel like you've got somebody there for you and that you're not alone regardless of what you're going through. But it doesn't all have to be heavy. It can be fun, it can be a bus tour, it can be talking about going out, raving, um, having a laugh, the importance of friendship, you know, having a laugh. So, yeah, it's kind of everything. Um, And for me, literally turning up, you know, in the playground with that from Nottingham to Glasgow to Margate, like where I was living at the time, it was a total thrill and a pleasure and just to see how people react to a physical thing it's not a photograph is it or a video message when you're like all right let's talk about this really messy thing called life with young people it was it it made me believe in the future because most of them are pretty damn cool and they know a lot more than we do Oh, yeah. I feel like young people know so much more than we did. (laughs) They're just absolutely awesome. It made me feel a lot better about everything. And that was a few years ago now. But I think about that when I get worried about the future. (laughs) But I also think that sense of positivity is really reflected in the books that you've chosen for Bookshelfie. Because I think you're one of the first people to have chosen children's books, which I really love. (laughs) The first one is The Moomins by Tove is it Janssen? Janssen? I wouldn't know, no. especially. I feel like I don't want to offend any Scandinavian any listeners. Tolves. But um, a lot of people know the Moomin series. So it's a whole series, a whole world, the Moomins. And ah, as a child, I had a really overactive imagination. And there was quite a lot of weird, surrealist stuff out there for my generation. Kind of like a hangover from from psychedelic input of the 70s I think and I think the Moomins is no exception and I used to always be drawn to these types of of kind of kids things um and it's it's weird the series is weird because it's based around a family of mythical creatures called the Moomins Moomins, and they're kind of like these very huggable blobs (laughs) because I've seen pictures of them and they look a bit like hippos yeah right um but the magic to the moomins is not only how atmospheric the writing is it really takes you to this I guess it might be a similar a similar thing to why people like 
like Scandi Noir, which I actually don't like, to be honest. I think I'm probably still a bit of a kid. But this was like warmer and weird. And it really talks about nature. And they're very much in touch with the seasons. And and morally, Tovey, the writer, is 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 getting into young people's brains and, and talking very much about care, personality types, love, emotions, but it's all done through these absolutely beguiling and bizarre characters. Were you the kind of kid who was always reading books? Yes and no. Um, I, I have a short attention span and probably always have, so I'm not massively highbrow or booky as such. But I I probably have always been creative. Um, So so yes, I'm attracted to certain things. But it's visual, it's words, and it's very often people and fun. What were you like when you were a kid growing up? Oh, my God. Um, Giggly, loud, and mischievous. Troublemaker. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What will your teachers have said about you? Oh, my goodness, total polar, which I think still is the same now. Um, My drama teacher always gave me time. She believed in me, whereas, like, very stiff upper lip. At this point, in terms of secondary school, I was living in Sussex. I was one of the only, like, black kids in my school. I was at a girls' school. I was... I thought I was really attitude I thought I knew everything. Oh, I mean, um, and then other teachers were just, I was called Malfi from the start. Right. Which I'm annoyed about now because I think to ask questions and to be bold is not necessarily an evil trait. It's also a little bit judgmental now. Yeah. So, I mean, women, women are told that we're not allowed to actually like know ourselves or to ask too many questions or uh, to be too loud. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think I've always been like that. So there's nothing I can do about it. I've I've always like pushed the boundaries. Um, But, but I've had this insatiable appetite for like joy and positivity and, getting people together and so like there's this real like yin yang thing going on and I think that teachers kind of could see that and didn't really know what to do with me. It's kind of weird because I feel like school is one of those places where if you don't fit into a box teachers don't really know what to do and it's like I'm sorry you're above my pay grade for caring so I'm just gonna (laughs) leave you alone and not have to deal with you. Yeah I think it really does depend on the teacher but having thought about the education system a lot now because of working with young people visiting schools there's there's definitely uh room for a bit a wiggle room on 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 what education is and and should be as far as i'm concerned and your second book the magic fireway tree yes it's kind of similar it is i mean it sounds similar and everyone tells me this is the most quote-unquote magical book Really? Yeah. That's really nice. What is it about? Um, A group of friends, Mm -hmm. again, another big theme in my life. Um, All quite strange. (laughs) There's a guy called Moonface, which I'm fine with. Um, He's allowed in my gang. (laughs) And they go up this really gorgeous tree 
that just holds their imagination and dreams and fears in the sense that when they get to the top, there's a different land every time. Oh, so it's like a portal. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's brilliant lands, there's terrifying lands, there's ridiculous lands. And I can't even remember specific ones, but it might be like the land of topsy-turvy. Right, where, so everything's upside down. Yeah. Right. It's pretty trippy stuff. <laughs> yeah, what was Enid like? You know, it's a really yeah. far cry from the naughtiest girl, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> but really lovely. Uh, I mean, I'm sure... It could you could pick it all apart and try and find meaning to it all, but again, when you're a child, to get lost in that is just awesome. It's a bit like the Narnia cupboard, but without leading to the weird Christian allegory land. Just uh, to... okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I also liked Narnia. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never got into Narnia. I didn't like love it, love it, but it's all of that ilk, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's amazing. I mean, you seem like you must have been a really imaginative kid. Yeah, it's it's actually quite strange. But I, I, I think I've had to explore this more recently because I've thought about the books that affected me. When I started writing, I had to open that up and think, what has influenced me? How do I want to write? What do I want to communicate? And uh, it, it, it started to become more important to me that like these books resonated. But I don't... Uh, it's not like I've spent a career talking about literature. It was always like a secret jokey fantasy to see whether I could get into university and study English, but I never actually did it. You know, I, I, I got sidetracked by East London. <laughs> but but when I've had to think about it a bit more, yes, my imagination was constantly going, and that's partly because we didn't have the internet. So I found my kicks in other ways. Do you think the internet's really kind of affected people's capacity to imagine? Yes, <laughs> in short. <laughs> but because... also influences it. I d- mm-hmm. You know, this is a massive debate that can go on forever. Um, I love and hate it, just like everybody else. Am I a bit afraid of it? Yes. I think everyone's a little bit afraid of it. Even if you think it's a positive force for good. Yeah. It's hard not to be a little bit afraid of something so powerful. We can curate it into our positive force, but we have a responsibility on ourselves to actually try and do that. And when an addiction is an addiction, it's really difficult to to, to admit it. Because when you were kind of hanging out in East London, you know, styling for Florence and Machine, starting out in radio... I'm guessing social media wasn't that big. Not not at all. Like MySpace was just coming in. Right. And I think that like we are now really obsessed with that. Oh, and it overrides not always of course. I really don't want to be a doommonger because it, there's amazing things happening and amazing people and conversations happening with eye to eye. So I I don't want to sound really grumpy, but we were definitely just living in a moment without thinking about it. We weren't thinking about how we could stream that or what people would think if we were hanging out together or... Yeah, so that does change things. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's bad that we have it. But, we, but I do think we have a responsibility to think about how it affects us. Especially kids, I think. Younger people. Yeah. Does your book talk about that? Yeah, a lot. I did a lot of research. Even, you know, just like going off on my own tangents online and I was a bit like whoa I can't come back from that so one of the things that I found myself saying was you just 
remember that you can't unsee things. Like, I keep thinking at the moment about trigger warnings. Like, remember when trigger warnings were like a thing? Like, they're not anymore. Everyone's just talking about everything. Yeah. Like, wild abandon. Mm-hmm. Everyone's got the opinion, but like, we're talking about really deep stuff, like, all of the time. And like, it gets quite heavy, I think. Of course it does. Like, yeah. like, we need to have a deep breath, have a cup of tea, and think about the things that we do want to talk about and the things that we don't, or the things that we want to know. And, things that we and that changes, and it's just the noise is loud. This podcast is made in partnership with Bailey's Irish Cream. Bailey's is proudly supporting the Women's Prize for Fiction by helping showcase incredible writing by remarkable women, celebrating their accomplishments and getting more of their books into the hands of more people. Bailey's is the perfect adult treat, whether in coffee, over ice cream or paired with your favourite book. So the third book you picked was The Drama of the Gifted Child, which I hadn't heard of before. So um, somebody told me about this. It was a practitioner, beautiful. She, she does, she practices shiatsu. Her name's Sylve and she's based in Margate. And she's just a really serene, cool person. Right, so when she recommended this book by Alice Miller, you were like, give me that. Yeah, when someone is really careful and considered and you sort of admire them and then they tell you about a book that they think might be good for you, you, you kind of, you, you hope for the best, don't you? You believe them. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sort of at a point in my life where I'm coming to terms with stuff. I'm realising that my childhood wasn't perfect. And I've been in the public like world growing up quite haphazardly as the world has changed quite a bit. And I'm a bit like, wow, OK, now what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a young woman and... and um, yeah, I mean, my book's called Open. It's to talk about things. But suddenly you sort of open up your own box. And I've been, I've been, yeah, I've been going to therapy and I've been speaking to people and I've been trying to keep some of that to myself as well. Because I don't, mm. I don't, for me, it doesn't feel good to be constantly spouting that in a public sphere. Yeah. So a book like this, it's it's quite heavy, but also really easy and beautiful. And it's just about your childhood, you know, with regards to the depths of trauma or just stuff that might have really affected you. And that's hard. That's hard for us all. Um, But this is a really good book on that. It's about psychotherapy. Right. And, uh, yeah, I'm I'm getting a lot from it. So that's why I was like, should I talk about this? It's It's a bit heavy, but it's really good. So if anyone's feeling a bit like at that point in their life, like I'm get, coming up to 35, I'm a bit like, oh, wow, I'm a bit tired. Yeah. <laughs> but I've still got loads more to give. Um, it, it's a good one. It's a really good one. It's interesting because I feel like so many people I know in my friendship group who are in their 30s are now going to therapy. Yeah. And I think one of them actually stopped because his response was, they just make me talk about bad stuff that happened in my childhood. <laughs> I was like, isn't that the point with therapy? I know. It's just a really weird loop and you have to go on your own personal journey and big up to anyone whose parents were awesome enough to make sure that they had an absolutely excellent loving childhood like big up (laughs) but if not then you have to do the work as they call it which makes a lot of people eye roll but the work is the work is the work and it's 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 if you want to actually live like a happy good life which I do and make other people around you feel good then 
therapy is kind of an interesting concept. I'm always reaching for the positivity. I'm always like, it could be fun. (laughs) And then I'm like, no, don't make friends with your therapist. Just get on with it. (laughs) I actually, well, one of my other friends who really enjoys therapy was like, look, it's an hour of just talking to someone who has no clap back, has no nothing to say to you nothing to cut in none of their personal shit to bring in mm-hmm. they are just fully listening to you and you don't worry have to worry about pissing them off or boring them because it's, it's absolutely amazing like i i look at a therapist's eyes sometimes and they're just like completely just so skilled at not being emotionally engaged but also being engaged it's like whoa <laughs> it's really cool it's a skill and I interview people for a living I talk to people but I do it on an emotional level um, I'm, I'm like an explorer an investigator I, I'm, I'm fascinated in people's experience and how they overcome things and what inspires them and all of that but like, like when you're sitting in a room and it's and no one really gives a shit in the sense that it's not about anything except for just like getting it off your chest it's kind of refreshing radical self-care is about saying i am going to spend some of my money on not just putting a plaster over how i feel or getting drunk or flying far away to forget about it it's just it's really like approaching like what makes you feel good on a more consistent level really exploring things in the world that aren't making you feel good and asking questions so from a more intellectual perspective a spiritual one a generational one it's deep but it's it's empowering and it's pretty cool your fourth book is sister outsider by audrey lord so how did you first encounter her book so i got given it as a birthday present a little while ago and i didn't pick it up because i've been on this feminist reading thing for not that long like i am no um like highly like well read you know i just this is quite um recent for me like some of this stuff in terms of actually sitting down and properly reading a book from start to finish <laughs> and uh i i've picked it up quite recently and i was just like whoa this is what i'm talking about <laughs> this is speaking to me it's about being a woman of color it's about exploring the nuance of that it's about maybe being slightly alternative um and it's old school like i'm i'm down i'm down with lectures given in america in the 70s I'm interested in that I I'm drawn to the past sometimes and I think I think that there might have been a bit more of um just less fear about talking about big stuff yeah definitely was there a particular essay that resonated with you from this book or just um, an ideal concept uh so I I was enjoying her take on eroticism I mean even as an idea like what is eroticism again made into a commercial thing not necessarily it's not very fashionable now but think about like erotic fiction at some point or whatever but the actual meaning of eroticism and how a woman can inhabit that and how that can give them a sense of power I don't know it's just fascinating I'm not saying I agree and adhere to all of these things but somebody very poetically being able to deliver uh, these ideas 
that are weighted in it, like a lot of self-belief, I'm, I'm just like, it's definitely made my mind kind of think, you know, I, I like things that make me think. And, and some of which I'm like nodding, like, oh yeah, no one really says it like that. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I kind of, yeah. I mean, it's a real testament to the work that it's still being talked about what, I mean, I think Sister Outsider came out in 1984. Right. So that's like, what, 30? I, can't I mean, it's the year before I was out. born. And I'm going to be 35 in a month, so 36 years yeah. ago. So almost four decades, which is crazy. It is crazy. And it doesn't mean that every single line resonates. Times have changed. Times are constantly changing. Boy, don't we know it. But I think it's good to, to go in sometimes. And she does. And just reading like a verbatim speech, I get something out of as well. I think because I'm always thinking about the mediums of broadcast and communication just the idea of somebody talking like that i'm just like god blimey she was good weren't she <laughs> was she reading notes it's just, just like, like how, does, how does someone do that <laughs> very cool are you more of an audio person than a text person um i think so i think i'm probably an audio purist and your final book maya angelou the autobiographies you listened to this one, right? It yes. was a BBC project. Yeah, so she wrote her autobiographies and then it was adapted into a Radio 4 drama series, um, which I caught a bit of and was like, whatever this is, this is really great. Um, and then it's now available on Audible. And I travel a lot. I travel a lot on my own as well, which I'm cool with and I love, but I know my things that make me feel comfortable and happy and walking around a city... So I listened to the ends of this in Athens last year. Um, it's just, it's like you have a friend. I don't know, that sounds ridiculous, but like when you are listening to something that you're really enjoying and you're also in surroundings that you like but might be new, it's like you've you got that mate there. Anyway, I don't know, but you're filling your mind instead in a different way. And I just got so into this because I found it hard at first a lot of the dramatization of her early life is quite heavy and I was a bit like, I don't really want to hear this. And then her life changes and her life just gets really fun and filled with drama and romance and glamour. She becomes a dancer and all these things that I didn't necessarily know about Maya Angelou. I've read her incredible poems, obviously. But I was just like, this woman is or was phenomenal like the epitome of the phenomenal woman that she talks mm -hmm. about and I, I guess as a student of hers you can only really really feel that if you look into how someone ends up like that or be, being able to write like that and the the best thing about Maya Angelou is that she does know how the caged bird sings it resonates in how she writes and it resonates in her life story. Like she overcame and overcame and overcame. And that to me is fascinating because a lot of women of colour's stories that we know of in terms of like these big stories that we know about from say Nina Simone to Whitney Houston are these very embellished tragedies mm -hmm. And that's so sad. So I'm like, go on, Maya. Yeah, give me some joy. <laughs> She's just like, I carried on and carried on and carried on. And I don't know. I love that. 
it's I, I can't there's not many examples of women of color who are so kind of like, attractive in the sense of the work they put out like so compelling so interesting please tell me more i'm, I'm actually researching them because my next book is about it's called the immortal sisterhood Oh, really? Okay, yeah. Tell us more about that. Oh, man. Um, I'm just going to jump into history books and, okay. and write about incredible women. I mean, it's not the most like freshest idea. A lot of people are doing it. But I'm doing it from my perspective. Um, it, and I'm finding out about a lot of people that I didn't know about. And I'm like, why don't we know about this person? So I'm just going to celebrate with them and an imaginary dinner party oh, <laughs> as that's such. That's so good. Like, um... <laughs> Do you know the artist Judy Chicago, who's no. got that big installation called The Dinner Party? Oh, really? Which is basically just a gigantic table setting. So there are different table settings and seats for various women in history. Who I love forgotten. it. So- I love it. Yeah, I mean, the book isn't in, in the format of a dinner party, mm. but it just, it, it, as a metaphor, it's just, yeah. it's very up. Like, this is an idea that even if people were deemed as crazy in the end or something bad happened or I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, that there were certain elements of their life that we could all learn from and that parts of them should be celebrated rather than people being scrubbed out because let's be honest, men have been able to do that forever and just be like, yeah, he was an amazing pirate. It's like, cool, yeah. Great. But like... Where's the woman? Yeah, who was who was the woman? And I was like finding out about female pirates, and there are so many brilliant, interesting women to research. Where do you think that comes from for you? You know, because you seem really engaged with this idea of giving justice to women and like, yeah. bringing women up. Have you always been like this? Uh, really? Yeah, probably. I think I'm I'm allowed to be like that more now. Mm-hmm. But I think women are absolutely brilliant. I also think men are. I think we're always, we're in a time where a lot of men are feeling a bit s- sort of scared of our empowerment, and I don't actually mean that lightly. I think no, no, no. Like we all just need to just like shake off some of that like versus thing, and and like for me, genuine equality is just being like love wins. Like end of mm-hmm. you know, I love men. I do. <laughs> like, I just do. Caveat. Yeah, I lo- and I love women. I, lo- I, love, I love people. It's annoying, but it's the truth. I think that's also what makes you a good radio presenter, right? Thanks. Yeah, I mean, I try. <laughs> I do try. I've, I've had a good time. I'm having a great time. <laughs> so of all the books you've picked today, which one do you think really gets you or really gets to you? Oh, man. I think we should go with like the Magic Fire Ragey just because it's super fun. Um, yeah, like the Enid Blyton. Uh, they all get to me, but I, I, I'm really, I'm, I'm really adamant that we need to dis- go on paths of discovering, talk about things, and be inquisitive, but also remember the power of our imagination and that things aren't always as they seem and. I mean, is a child's book a child's book? Who knows? Like, I don't know. The next generation, like, all of these things, like our our imagination could could actually like be an incredible thing for all of us. And part of this podcast is as part of the Women's Prize, we're going back and rereading all the people who've won the prize in the last twenty five years. Is there a particular woman you'd like to big up today? Oh, who, who you like people who are listening right now to look her up besides a writer, a writer or Could just be a, a writer person. or just anyone. It's so hard. 
in public splendour, let's say, let's go for Grace Jones, mm-hmm. who left a profound effect on me when I interviewed her. She, I say she changed my life in some ways. I don't know how or why, but she just was so herself that I was like, it's possible. Um, and so not as scary as she has been depicted to be. Really? Yeah, and it just proved to me that, again, women, and I'm going to just stretch that out to, in terms of people, are so many things. Um, so, yeah, big up Grace. Like, what was she like in real life? She was just wicked. Like, I just... She was so... Otherworldly, actually. I guess, again, there's this theme, isn't there? But... The next day I was thinking about her and I was like, what does, what, who does she remind me? Does that, because I, I can usually, somebody will remind me of something and I was just like, I've never met anyone like her. And then the only comparison that I could have in terms of her vibe, her humour, her unapologeticness, her sensitivity as well, was some of the amazing drag queens that I've been lucky enough to hang out with but outside of the regalia so like the next day after a night mm. out or something when you're the makeup smear yeah when face. you're when you're with somebody who's just so everything in terms of fabulous but also uh really like gentle I don't, and and actually that's that's what grace represented this genderless kind of force of nature who it was very maternal and had all these anecdotes and was part of a really iconic scene, but she wasn't scary. Like She didn't want to like hurt me or shock me. Like, I said to her, I just want to archive you for the icon that you are. Women aren't often and let's do this. Let's talk and let's let's find out like who you are. And she gave me that and it was cool. Amazing. It was really cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank on you. This episode. It's been lovely. I feel like I've been to therapy. Wow. <laughs> well, in that case, I'll send you an invoice after this. Oh, yeah. Okay. See, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you for letting us into your imagination emporium. Oh, thank you. And I hope that people find a book that they love in those in those uh, suggestions. And if you do have a mutual love for any of them, like let me know so we can like vibes out on it. <laughs> I'm Zing Sing, and you've been listening to the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast, brought to you by Baileys and produced by Birdline Media. You definitely want to click subscribe, because in our next episode, we'll be exploring three previous winners of the Women's Prize in a book club with three brilliant guests. Please rate and review this podcast. It's the easiest way to help spread the word about the female talent you've heard from today. And thanks very much for listening. See you next time. <laughs>